Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is a Welsh minister, said this, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us. We have all become so psychological in our attitude and our thinking. We are ignorant of this great objective fact. The being, the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser, and his fiery darts. When it comes to spiritual enemies or powers, or if you've been in the church, if you use words like spiritual warfare, I've seen oftentimes two responses, obsession or fear. Obsession, people that are so fixated and obsessed and they go down this rabbit hole and everything is always this, or fear, where we just pretend that it doesn't exist because we're afraid. But Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests, suggests a third option, neither, neither fear or obsession, but ignorance. And this is the outcome of our modern and postmodern self where we take everything and we rationalize and we, we think about it and we try to explain things away. We dismiss and diminish the reality of the devil or his influence. And there must be a better way. Not fear, not obsession, and not ignorance. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Ephesus actually presents a better way. And I want us to explore those words today. And so I want you to grab out your Bibles or pull up your phones and go to Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Ephesians 6. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Ephesians 6. Before we dig in, I want to pray for us. God, in these moments, may it be your words that speak. God, I'm so grateful that your word is like a two-edged sword, that it cuts to the very heart of us. God, that's true, not just for people in the room. This is true for me. God, change us. Help us in the midst of all the noise to hear your still, small voice. God, individually, you brought each of us here on purpose. You have something that you want to say to us and something that you want to do in us. Help us to partner with you. God, I need you. We need you. Have your way. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, says this. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." Now, notice the beginning of this section that I'm reading, what Paul is writing. He writes, a final word. So you can imagine, he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and this is almost like the, ad, the addition at the end. A final word, just, I don't want you to miss this. He's drawing attention. He's causing us to go, okay, what he's about to say here is really important, because he wants us to see this. And he says, be strong. But note, he doesn't just say, be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not our mighty power, not our own individual strength. And we live in a culture that values finding strength from within. We hear this language all the time. Just have to look inside of yourself. You have it in you. 
The problem with that is that that does not line up with the way of Jesus. Because I don't know if you know this. Maybe COVID taught it to you. Maybe you've learned it throughout your life. Um, We have limits as human beings. We are finite creatures. And so if we think there is some sort of infinite strength that we possess, we will find ourselves realizing very quickly we don't have it. Strength that is built only on us and our self our self-involvement or self-hoping that our self is at the center is not enough. Unless it is empowered by God himself, the strength that we have will not sustain us. And so Paul says, be strong in the Lord. God gives us strength. For those of us that follow Jesus, that have surrendered our life to Jesus, that follow the way of Jesus, those of us that are Christians in the truest sense of the world, God gives us strength, but it's not strength for no reason. That strength has a purpose. It isn't to puff us up. It's not to make us feel good. It's not to help us to succeed in other people's eyes where we demonstrate the strength and people go, wow, look at you. It's none of those. Strength is given to us by God, according to Paul, so that we might stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Now, this is the reminder for us. It's a reminder that we have an enemy, if we are Christians, that we have an enemy. One of the enemies of our soul, the devil, or Satan, or the accuser, or the father of lies. And God sends us in the face of this enemy to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. And Paul reminds us in verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, this is a reminder that we're not just talking about flesh and blood enemies, and we're also not talking about some sort of nebulous concept, vague concept of evil. No, this is something specific. We're talking about evil rulers, evil authorities, and evil spirits all of whom Jesus believed in and all of whom Jesus confronted. But all of them occupy the unseen world. This speaks to the orthodox Christian view of the seen and unseen world. The physical world that we see all around us and the spiritual world, the world that we we don't always see. We might see the effects of, but we don't necessarily see it very clearly. There is a physical world and a spiritual world. And there's a reminder for us that this battle that we find ourselves in is not just with people, with flesh and blood. It's a reminder that our our battle isn't even with people, but it's for people. That there are all sorts of things going on behind the scenes. These evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world use structures and people to do great evil in our world. They work under the guidance of the devil And they serve in the alliance of the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's really important for us, if we follow Jesus, to be aware of our enemies. There's another passage that the apostle Peter, he mentions the devil, and he challenges us to be sober-minded. Now, that that language is apt, and I think it's helpful for us. Sober-minded, clear-headed, honest in our assessment of what is going on around us. Neither, neither obsessed nor feel fearful or ignorant, but instead sober-minded. It's important that we are aware of the enemy. 
But it's also important that we understand that in our awareness of our enemy, we are not left powerless. Instead, Paul reminds the the church in Ephesus, and he reminds us thousands of years later in verse 13, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. And in verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belts of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now just notice verse 14 for a moment where it says, stand your ground. This is a reminder for us that are Christians that we are invited to stand our ground. Now how many of you know if you stand your ground for a long period of time, if you're standing in one place for a long period of time, it's not passive, It's active. You're standing there, and over time, you find yourself wobbling around, and you have to kind of brace yourself and hold on. Stand your ground. We cannot become unstable and easily swayed Christians that go wherever the wind of culture or all sorts of things go. We have to stand our ground. We need to recognize where we have been formed by the way of the world and instead be formed by the way of Jesus so in the midst of all of the pressure that we stand our ground. Why? Because we are in an unseen war. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I often think about that passage. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. God will build his church. Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell won't stand. But I want us to think about the implications just for a a brief moment of this passage because I've heard it so much and sometimes I think we forget. When you think about a gate, a gate is defensive and, and it's meant to keep people out, right? And if we look at this section, we do not find that the gates are ours and they're under attacked under attack. Who do we find? We find that the gates of hell are under attack. Sometimes I think we feel like we just need to protect. We just need to protect the church. And there are things that we do need to fight for, and there are things that we need to protect. But it's a powerful reminder for us that we're not on the defensive here. We're on the offensive. That as the church, as the church is going and moving forward, as Jesus is drawing his church in its, all of its beauty, it's actually pushing against the gates of hell. And they're trying to hold it back. And spoiler alert, they lose. And so we're reminded here that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand. They will not prevail. We're in a fight. Paul tells us to stand firm, to stand our ground. And then he reminds us that God gives us help. He gives us armor, both protection and weapons. But it's important for us because I think sometimes we can hear this and go, okay, we're going through this section. I'm aware of the armor of God. And I just want to just again remind you, the value is not us knowing it. The value is us actually doing it. And so we do know to be transformed so that we actually go, if God's giving us armor and we let it sit and collect dust and look nice and on the, on the display and don't actually put it on, that's a problem. And so we need to actually wear and use the armor of God. What is the armor of God? Well, Paul starts with the belt of truth. And then I recognize, even as I was, as I was working through this, I realized how much, I, I grew up reading the NIV and I realized 
that there are certain things, certain phrases that they use in the NLT that's different. And so I did a bit of a combo because I recognize that there's some that you're like, man, that, that one is the one I always think about. But belt of truth. He says, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, and then the body armor of God's righteousness. Now, this belt of truth, it echoes some of what I said last week. What I talked about is the, the devil is the father of lies. If the devil is the father of lies and there is no truth in him, it reminds us that there is power in truth. That actually living in light of what the truth is actually has substantial power. Commentators point out that this belt of truth actually represents two things. It both represents the truth of the good news of Jesus, and it also refers to the idea of living with sincerity and without deceit. The truth of Jesus that will set us free and also living lives of sincerity or integrity without deceit. We as Jesus followers are invited to live in a way where there are no lies spoken in secret or lives lived in the dark. And just as a note, if you notice in your own life that there are some areas that you try to hide from other people or keep in the dark, that should be a significant warning sign for you, that that's a problem area. It should warn you that there's some places, there's some battles that are happening and maybe, just maybe, you aren't putting up a fight. The life of a Jesus follower is not compartmentalized, but fully integrated. We should be the same up front when people are watching us as we are when no one is watching us. Now, I'm not saying I do that perfectly, and I'm not saying any of us do it perfectly. But if we are not over time trying to close the gap, I think that's a problem. I want my kids to see me and the same person they listen to up here or they see another me. They see the same. There's no disconnect. The idea of integrity, if you're a math person, is the same root word as integer, which is what? A whole number. This idea of wholeness. And I think what happens is we live lives where we're not whole and we wonder why it's not working because that was not how we're meant to live. So we are told to put on the belt of truth. And next we are told to put on the body armor or in other translations, the breastplate of God's righteousness. Now, in the same way as the, the belt of truth has two different angles, the, this breastplate of righteousness has two different angles, too. First, there is the idea of being made right before God through Jesus. Our righteousness is not our own. If we try to brag on our own righteousness or look at our own righteousness or think that our own righteousness will save us, we will find ourselves falling short. But the idea is that when we surrender our life to Jesus, that we are not condemned but made right by him. So we stand before God as loved and in right relationship with God. And so when the devil lies to us or when he condemns us or accuses us, we are able to remind ourselves, I know who I belong to. I know who I am. I know who I am loved by. I know where my identity is found. I know that I am loved by God and not because of something I did, but something that Jesus did for me. I know who I am. And when we do that, it's like putting on a breastplate, protection. And so when the devil shoots his lies at us, they just glance off because we go, I know who I am. What you're saying is not true about 
me. So there's this theological implication of righteousness. But then there's also a practical side. That is, over time, as Jesus followers, we should actually live differently. Our character should actually become more and more righteous. And so here we see this intersection between right beliefs and right practices. Because the more that we understand who we are, the free gift that we've been given, saved by grace, through faith, the more that we understand that, the more the overflow is that we actually do what is right. And we don't do it to earn it, we do it because we know who we are. And the more that we do this, the more that we actually do what is right and bring things out of the dark and into the light, the more that we live our lives with integrity, the more our lives are safeguarded against the enemy's attacks. So the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and next, the boots or shoes. For shoes, in verse 15, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. There is peace that comes from understanding the good news. If you've ever heard the word gospel, the word gospel means good news, and it's a declaration of the message of Jesus, the reality of God's power at work through Jesus to rescue people from the devil's tyranny, the coming of the kingdom of God. And when you actually understand the good news of Jesus, that he is overcome and he offers us a restored relationship with God, the more that you understand the good news of Jesus, the more that you actually experience peace. You no longer see things like you used to. But Paul says to put on the boots of peace, or the shoes of peace, so that you can be fully prepared. See, what happens is that we, as Jesus followers, we know what God has done for us. We know what Jesus has done for us. And we put on those shoes and we have peace, but not so we just stay there, but instead so that we actually live lives sharing that good news with those who do not yet have it. We don't have shoes on so we can run fast away from every fight or every person. We have shoes of peace so that we can run toward people who desperately need the good news of Jesus. In addition to all of these, in verse 16, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, in this, the word that's used for the shield is not to denote some little small, like, dinner plate. Like, we have different pictures in our mind, like one of those little shields. It's meant to, it's meant to actually denote this giant shield that would cover your entire body, like a big deal, a ton of covering. And it was specifically designed at this time to fight against, to protect people against the fiery arrows, where they would dip their arrows in something flammable, light them on fire and shoot them. Now, there are words that are described as the fiery arrows in verse 16 of the devil. Well, that could be condemnation, disobedience, rebellion, lust, malice, fear, and more. And the shield of faith is a refuge for us against those fiery arrows. The shield is a shelter and safe place where in faith we hold onto the power of God in the midst of whatever we are going through. We hold tight to the shield of faith, to the promises of God in the midst of all of our difficulties. And after the shield, we are told to put on the helmet, 
verse 17, it says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We put on the helmet of salvation. We offer our heads and our minds. We take assurance of our future and final salvation. We know that regardless of what happens to us here on earth through Jesus, our hope is secure. I mean, we look at Paul and he models it. And people threaten him, like, hey, we'll kill you if you don't, if you don't say, tell people you don't believe in Jesus. And he's like, you know what? It's better to be with Jesus anyway, so kill me. And they're like, well, that didn't work out. Or he's like, uh, we'll put you in jail. And he's like, I'll lead, the, I'll lead the prison guards to faith. No problem. And I, I think a lot about this, and I go, I don't know how often this actually looks like us as Christians, because when something difficult happens, we're like, why do you do this, God? I look at Paul, and he goes, perfect. I'm here. Let's do it. Shipwrecks, great. Yeah, beat me, no problem. Yeah, I count it all as joy. You're like, how? But this is the invitation we have when our hope is secure in who Jesus is. Because whatever we face, we put it into perspective. We go, this is nothing. We live in confident assurance of our resurrection because we live in confident confident assurance of Jesus' resurrection. We hold our head high knowing that we are saved. And finally, we are told to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, or Scripture, God's written Word, written by people inspired by the Holy Spirit. There is a point that I often think about in in Jesus' ministry where he was tempted in the desert by the, the devil. And he's gone 40 days without food and water. He's been fasting for 40 days. And you can only imagine what that must have been like. And so you're being tempted. And there's something in the temptation that I think we can learn substantially from that connects to this passage. The devil comes to him and he tries to tempt him. He tries to get him to buy into a lie of of skipping some things or avoiding some difficulty or getting something that he has not yet earned. And if you look at how Jesus responds to every single one of those temptations, you know what he does? Quotes scripture back to the devil. He speaks truth to the lies the devil is trying to get him to buy into. It's important that you know that the word of God, or what we call the Bible, is more powerful than you know. I'll even tell you, last week I quoted a bunch of scripture that I had nowhere in my notes. And it just just came out. I was like... Okay, I was glad that no one asked me for all the scripture references because I'd be like, I don't remember. And I was thinking a lot about that. Just I'll be fully transparent of going, I don't always have the, the like, you know the people that they hear one verse and they're like, that's in Hezekiah 49 verse. And you're like, I'm not that guy. I have moments where I'm like, man, I, I, think, I think it's Ephesians 4, 6. Let me check. I'm grateful for the internet. I'll just admit it. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that over time, that as I've actually taken the word of God seriously and taken it and stored it in my heart, that God doesn't waste any bit of that effort. And then in times that I least expected, he goes, perfect. Remember that one time I said, and you go, oh, yeah, you did say that. 
He calls to attention the things that are already inside of us. It's why it's really important as Jesus followers. We don't just see reading the Bible as a checklist that we do. Well, I did my quiet time this morning. We recognize that the living God, the creator of the universe, wrote a book through people through thousands of years, and he's trying to speak to us today. And he's not just speaking to us just so we can feel nice and put things on nice little mugs or on wall art. He's speaking truth into our lives so that we can resist the strategy of the enemy. He's causing us so that we stand firm, that we hold on to the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And so here we find the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. We have access to all of these. But where we do have the invitation to choose is whether we actually arm ourselves with any of them. If we follow Jesus, we cannot live our lives independent of the resources that he is providing for us, resources that are completely necessary for us to live the way that we're called to live. We are in a fight, but we're sent with armor. We must put it on. Notice how Paul ends in verse 18 where he says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray in the spirit at all times and at every occasion. I mean, it is just a reminder for us as we're actually living this out that we don't have to set, just set aside an hour of prayer time every single day in the morning. If you want to do that, do that. But pray at all times in complete dependence of the Holy Spirit. See, the reminder for us today is that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. This is our strength. See, we boast in our weakness. We know who we are. And yet we know who God is. We see our weakness and we rely on his strength. Because our battle is against a defeated enemy. Jesus defeated the devil and sin at the cross and through his resurrection. We do not have to feel any sense of fear. But we do have to understand that in the meantime, between here and then, when we are in heaven, that Satan's goal is to take as many people with him as he can. That what he wants to do is create as much collateral damage as he can. And we are sent in armor to do something about it. We are in a fight. We don't want to play church. We get to be the church. And if we don't allow God to equip us, we go into battle and we are easily defeated and broken. On our own, we are reminded that it is impossible to stand against the schemes of the enemy. We aren't strong enough. And we don't have true awareness. But this is where we see the power of the message of Jesus. Our strength isn't what carries us. We are reminded even in this, and if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you can look back and see it, that most of our, follow, our failures are due to our false attempts at self-confidence or self-reliance. We're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, and then we find ourselves at the end of our willpower going, it didn't work, it was harder, or whatever. And instead here, we find this divine dance 
Sometimes I'll talk about it if I want to use the theological terms and have people's eyes glaze over. There's these terms of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right beliefs and right actions, how we actually, how we actually apply what we know. I was, when I did my master's, um, one of the professors was talking. He's saying, think implication, not application. Application is we just kind of go, I don't know, do some things this week. And you're like, yeah, I'll do whatever he told me to do. Implication is going, God, what do you want from me in this? What are you inviting me into? And so we find this divine dance. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that we bring what we have and we live in dependence and cooperation with God. We experience divine enablement. We can't earn that, and we do not somehow deserve divine enablement, and yet he gives us. We're responsible for cooperating with that. We partner with God. And we put on the armor as an act of cooperation and dependence on God. And so we're invited to pray at all times, on every occasion, stay alert. Here's what I know to be true. If you know that you're in a fight and you're experiencing resistance, guess what you tend to do a lot more? God, help me, please. Please, help, speak, help, quick prayers. When you think you're good, you ignore God and you're like, no, I'm good, I got this. And so I think sometimes God causes us to face challenges because it actually exposes some things in us and puts us in this place of dependence that we desperately need. It's so important that we don't underestimate our spiritual enemy. He is dangerous, and this is why we need God's armor. And I want to take a moment, and Nico, if you could put up on the screen the list of each of the armor of God. I don't know if there's one that stands out or maybe a couple that stand out and you would recognize, you know what? If I'm being honest, I have been neglecting these. No one's looking at you. No one's trying to evaluate you. But God right now is knocking at your door and he's saying, hey, do you think maybe you could just actually trust me in this area and partner with me? Do you think maybe you could trust me? Maybe it's the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness. And maybe the implication, just maybe, and I want God to speak however he wants to, but maybe you need to stop hiding your sin. Maybe you need to confess to someone who loves you and loves Jesus. I want you to know in the dark, the devil has power. In the light, he has nothing. And the fear we have is if I tell them, then they'll somehow look at me differently. And what we don't realize is it imprisons us. And then we confess our sins to one another and we find ourselves free and we realize, you know what, there's no power in this. The devil tries to speak lies and cause us to hide. Maybe you need to put on the belt of truth or the breastplate of righteousness. Maybe it's the boots of peace. Maybe you need to remind yourself of the good news of Jesus and not just as a personal intellectual exercise, but by sharing it with others. See, when you start to actually share your faith, It's terrifying, and it's beautiful. Because the more that you share your faith, the more that you understand, this is what I believe, and I believe that it changes my life. And you see that it has power to do something. I can't do anything, but the power of the good news changes lives. The gospel changes lives. And so I think for some of us as Christians, we just go, you know what, when I'm ready, then I'll share it. And God's going, no, you don't understand It's actually when you step out and share it that I'll give you what you need to be ready. And you're like, well, that means I have to trust you. Yeah. Yeah, you step out. 
And so maybe for some of us in the room, we need to put on the boots of peace and we recognize some of the reason that I don't feel peace is because I'm not actually reminding myself of the good news and I'm not sharing it with others. Or maybe it's the shield of faith. Maybe you find that your faith has waned. And it's supposed to be one of those big shields, but you feel like you got a little, little dessert plate and you're like, I'm just holding this thing. That's all I've got. This is why community matters. Because there are some of us in the room that we got the shield and we're ready to go and you can come, come behind ours. Let us stand with you. We don't want to just leave you where you are and go, well, hopefully you figure that out. Have a little more faith. We go, we have enough. Come on. Let me tell you what God has done in the past. The best way that we build our faith is by reminding ourselves and each other what God continues to do. Because in these moments that you're like, I-, I don't know how this is going to work out, and suddenly you talk in community and someone goes, hey, can I tell you a crazy story? I had that. And look at what God does. And what does it do? It builds your faith. And you start to go, if God did it for them, maybe he could do it for me. This is so important for us. The shield of faith. If you are struggling right now and you go, I have very little faith, after worship, our prayer team is going to be up here. Let them pray with you and for you. Share with them. We don't want to just say, hey, we have large shields come behind. We want to actually prove that. Let us walk with you in that. Next, the helmet of salvation. If you follow Jesus, you have been saved. Nothing that you can face will win because Jesus conquered death. I don't know what you're facing, but I would be willing to bet it's probably not as permanent as death. And yet we serve a Savior who has risen, who conquered death, the only guarantee in each of our lives, and he showed us that there is nothing that he does not have power over. And so maybe, just maybe, as you reflect on your salvation and, and your sure footing, understanding who you are in Jesus, you recognize that you have hope and you can share that hope that the world desperately needs. Or the sword of the Spirit. And this will likely poke and prod a bunch of us. Stop making excuses. I'm too busy. I don't have time to read the Bible I just, I just don't have time. I'm so busy binging Netflix shows and scrolling on Instagram. I just don't have time. It's so important for us to prioritize what actually matters. Stop making excuses and establish the discipline and practice of actually reading and studying and memorizing Scripture. I had one professor that talked about a time that he memorized the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. He memorized the entire thing, and then he preached it to his church. And as he's preaching it, they were offended by some of what was said. They're like, I didn't like what you said. And he's like, listen, at the end, he's like, "Uh, I need to make a confession. I plagiarized that whole sermon. They're like, oh, phew. And they're like, from Jesus. And they went, no. (laughs) No. And yet there's something substantial in, remind, in, in actually memorizing Scripture and reading it and not skipping over the parts that poke and prod us. Because what happens is we read the Bible and we're like, oh, I like that part. I saw it on a mug in the Christian bookstore. And then you get to another part, you're like, I don't like that part. I'll just pretend it doesn't exist. We don't get to do that. We read all of it. We read in large chunks. I mean, I think there's value if you're just starting and just reading in small sections, but I would encourage you, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, read in context. 
Read good chunks of it, and you start to go, wow, there's some things in here, and watch how it changes your life. But recognize it is a discipline and a practice. It's not something that just happens passively. If you're waiting for a moment that reading your Bible just is really easy, it won't happen. Or if you wait for the next moment that you feel inspired to do it, you won't do it. But if you recognize that I am in a fight and I desperately need the truth of God to fight against the lies that I might believe, you're drawn in. The more that you live your life actually on the front lines of faith with God, the more desperately in need you are of his words. I found that to be interconnected. It almost never goes words first, actions after. It's like, God, I'll step out and then you're reading going, I desperately need this, please help me. And so maybe for some of us, it's to actually stand our ground and stop being so passive. I don't know which item. Maybe it's a couple. Maybe there's some things that have nothing to do with what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is trying to whisper to you. And so I want to, in this same vein, I want you to take a moment to prayerfully reflect on two questions. First, and they're going to be up on the screen to give you some time. First, Holy Spirit, Which piece of armor do I need to put on? And second, what are you trying to say to me right now? And so the worship team's gonna come up in a moment, but I wanna just, in a few moments of just silence and stillness, I want you just to ask those questions before God and to see what he says. So I wanna pray for us, and then I'll just invite you, you can close your eyes and reflect on those questions. Feel free to look at the screen just to remind yourself, but... To actually ask the questions and expect an answer. Holy Spirit, I believe that you're trying to get our attention right now. I believe that there are some things that you're trying to poke and prod on. And so help us to hear from you. Holy Spirit, come. Come.